Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Four times a year, we interrupt our regular Spirit in Action programming, and we upscale our programming through the presence of our guest host, Peterson Toscano of Citizens Climate Radio. And Peterson is bringing you a really beautiful episode this time. There are multiple issues to be dealt with, but at the center of it all, whether it's because of climate change or the coronavirus, the topic is eco-grief. Over to you, Peterson. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be back here on Spirit in Action. Of course, the big story in all of our lives is coronavirus. It's upended our lives in so many ways. So on the show today, we're going to take a deep dive into it from an angle that maybe it's hard to look at sometimes, but I believe after hearing this conversation, it will really open up your headspace and your heart space. In this episode, you will hear from eight different women, including Edie Lush. So I'm a journalist. I'm the co-host and the producer of a podcast called The Global Goals Cast. And we tell the stories of the champions making the world a better place. I do a lot of video interviews. So I go to Davos every year. I go to various climate summits and interview CEOs, politicians, activists. Amy Lewis Rowe and Laura Schmidt from the Good Grief Network. We currently live in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. And I often say, if they watch the news and feel anxiety or grief about what they see, that we have a 10-step program that works with that. And we help bring people together with a 10-step process. And my answer is just more simple. I say, we hold healing spaces for collective grief. Solemi Hernandez. So I am the Southeast Regional Coordinator with Citizens Climate Lobby. I oversee five states, um, the state of Florida, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina. Anna Jane Joyner, co-host of the No Place Like Home podcast. Which is a podcast that gets to the heart of climate change. We are sponsored by the Sierra Club, and we just launched a new season called Bring the Light. Public health expert, Dr. Natasha DeJarnette. Interim Associate Director of Program and Partnership Development at the National Environmental Health Association. And writer, Elizabeth Rush. She wrote the book Rising, Dispatches from the New American Shore. And with coronavirus, I just feel very much back in that place of deep mourning and incredible upset. My experience sort of with climate change tells me that hopefully the longer we dwell in that place of being profoundly uncomfortable, the more necessary it is to kind of come out the other side. And that's a good place for us to start, climate change. Today, we look at mental health and wellness and the similarities and differences with coronavirus and our own climate work. So first, let's travel back in time to almost two years ago when I interviewed Dr. Lisa Van Susteren. Dr. Van Susteren is a psychiatrist in Washington, D.C., who specializes in the psychological effects of climate change. It's striking how much of what she said about climate change applies to our experiences with the impacts of COVID-19. 
But yes, we are seeing uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. We're seeing generalized anxiety. We're seeing depression. We're seeing a rise in alcohol and drug addiction to, to try to cope with the problem. We're seeing domestic violence. When people are being given a world that is no longer livable or is barely livable or now has so much adversity, so many challenges, that it is so difficult that, of course, um, there's going to be psychological harm and an emotional toll. Hearing what she says about climate anxiety resonates for me now as we are all trying to cope with or ignore the corona anxiety we are feeling. There's no pushing away anxiety. It only gets shoved into a crevice, and it becomes a whole part of that dark pool of a feeling that the world is not right. So there is no such thing as pushing it away. It's only bearing it along with financial problems, all of the other problems of everyday life that add to this sense of despair and to a feeling that, that safety is slipping from our fingers. But when I'm angry and when I'm in despair, there are a certain number of things that I do. And one is that I really have to knock it into my head that we're not alone. And that's why I think of everyone together, listening, working as a source to offset that anger. I also know from neuroscience that when we get away from what we call the me, de me definer, the sense of self, and we start working with others, that that part of being involved in something bigger gives us a sense almost of awe that brings the sense of purpose and meaning and gives us the energy to go forward. In that same episode, Dr. Natasha DeJarnette, a public health expert, spoke about mental wellness and extreme weather events. In particular, she shared about the essential role of community. It's really important that we have social ties and connections with our community. That also helps. It's actually one of the most disruptive parts of a natural disaster is that when people relocate, they lose their social ties. But in these times of extreme weather, it is those social connections with the community members that help us to withstand change. And it also encourages adaptation to climate change impacts. I decided to follow up with Dr. Dietrichnet about the impacts of COVID-19, climate change, and extreme weather. Coronavirus and climate change have a fear component associated with them. We are fearful of contracting coronavirus. We are fearful of spreading or contributing to the COVID-19 pandemic. There are many stressors associated with coronavirus and climate change. Some of those stressors for coronavirus include job loss and the economic stress of that. There's a stress associated with teleworking. And then for many, they're both teleworking and homeschooling their school-aged children. Later in the show, Dr. DeJarnett will join other guests to highlight vulnerable populations affected by the impacts of COVID-19 and climate. These include women, children, and people of color. Joining me now are two fellow climate podcasters. 
Edie Lush co-hosts Global Goals Cast. She lives in London with her spouse and children. I am lucky, right? I've got a house. I've got a garden. I've got older children who've each got some space to themselves. I would say I am one of the luckier ones. That does not make it easy. I asked Edie about her experience of grief around climate change and now the impacts of COVID-19. I first had to think about how do I know that, for example, the feeling I'm feeling now is grief. And I think it's because the world has changed. And I know that what we're in now will be temporary, but it doesn't actually feel like that. Just as like I know that going to the airport is forever different from how it was from 9-11, or how climate change has meant that summers in California, how the, the fire season has become such a big deal. And it's that loss of what felt like normality and what feels like a huge economic toll. And that loss of connection with something I understood before, I think that's hitting everybody. It's definitely hitting me. The same thing I'm feeling, I, I feel when I, when we talk about climate grief is that idea around anticipatory grief. And it sometimes comes, you know, when you think about a really dark future, like there's a storm coming, there's something bad out there. That's that feeling of that virus coming. I think it feels it breaks our sense of safety. And I'm definitely feeling that loss of safety, the economic safety, the feeling that I generally know what the heck is going to happen. So I think that together, we're all grieving on a micro level and also on a macro level. As podcasters, we get to hear and share stories. The stories and people I cover educate me about climate change and many other issues. But they also affect me emotionally and stir up sadness and empathy. When I think about how I've processed that grief, for me, the only thing to do is to do what I do, which is to tell stories, which is you know what you do too. So I, in January, I made an episode about the wildfires in Australia. And I spoke to three people actually from Australia who were really incredible. Katrina Wallace, who's a, an AI expert, but she actually has a family farm and it was the start of one of the big wildfires there. And she talked about it like driving through a Mad Max movie, through an apocalypse something quite terrifying and extraordinary. And then Matt, Matthew England, who's a professor of oceanography and climate at the University of New South Wales, I also spoke to him, and he talked about it as it was a glimpse into the future of Australia and the future of the planet. So we only have to take warming levels to a couple more degrees before we get that kind of summer as a normal summer. So I think we're, we're about a third of a way towards that three degree Celsius warming. And once we get there, that summer that Australia had will basically just be a normal summer event. We'll see extreme heat summers. We'll see unimaginable temperatures, heat waves. So for me, doing something about it has to be part of how I find the solution. And this point will come up more than once. Most of my guests stress that working through their emotions, especially the grief, 
got them to a place of engagement. Also with us from the U.S. state of Alabama is Anna Jane Joyner, the co-host of No Place Like Home podcast. I live on the Gulf Coast of Alabama in a tiny little town called Perdido Beach. It's actually one of the most vulnerable places in the country to climate change because we're surrounded by water on three sides and it's um, pretty low-lying. Anna Jane recognizes the importance of moving through her grief. You know, I do think on a mental health and emotional side, and I'm sure this maybe is why you're doing this podcast, we as a society need to get much better at facing grief and loss and in some ways even death. When I went through that really dark time, in some ways it made me a lot stronger. I knew what it was like to go to a really dark place and come back from it. It gave me a lot of grace and understanding for myself and others. And it also gave me a lot of courage and strength in kind of a deeper way. Like climate change, we are all experiencing the impacts of coronavirus. And we experience it in different ways. I think about, you know, other moments of collective grief, like 9-11 or... You know, I live in the UK, and there's this moment of where were you when you heard that Princess Diana died? And there isn't that moment, like there isn't this one moment with Corona, but still everyone has a story to tell. I've always thought about, well, is there a hero's journey? You know, there is no hero's journey here. There are terrible things happening and amazing things happening at the same time. Anna Jane, the co-host of No Place Like Home, spoke to me about faith and its role in many of our lives. You know, I think that's why we're exploring spirituality in our current in our current podcast season because it's you know that is one thing that a lot of spiritual practices and traditions and faiths and religions have helped us grapple with is how do we how do we face these really big scary realities uh, in some ways of what it means to be human, which is change and grief and loss and death. They've always been there. You know, we've never liked looking at them, but they've always been there. And now we're being asked to face them in a much bigger way and to find courage and hope and resurrection, if, if you like the Christian metaphor, and, and strength. One of my favorite quotes um, when it comes to climate change is by my friend, Dr. Kate Marvel, who's an amazing climate scientist, and she wrote this beautiful article for On Being about how we need courage. Uh, We don't need hope. We need courage to face climate change. And that is something I could wrap my head around even when I was struggling to be able to find hope. Self-care has always been extremely important for climate advocates. It's even more important now. Edie has been taking online yoga classes. In the end of this yoga class the other day, the teacher said, you know, staying positive doesn't have to mean that you're happy. So if you're not happy all the time right now, that's okay. Staying positive just means that you are choosing to expand rather than contract. I have to say, it was especially rewarding to chat with fellow podcasters. I encourage you to check out their shows. Anna Jane Joyner is the co-host of the podcast No Place Like Home. Edie Lush co-hosts the show Global Goals Cast. They are available wherever you get podcasts. I also have links in the show notes. 
want to return to the ways coronavirus and climate change are similar and different. With climate change, I often say we're all in the same boat together, just not on the same deck. We may face the same storm or flood in the same region and yet have radically different experiences. These differences often are because of class, race, age, and even gender. In addition to the mental health risks we face, I asked Dr. Dijonet about individuals and groups who are most vulnerable to the impacts of COVID-19 and climate change. It's also important that we look at who those populations that are vulnerable to the illness are. So those are older adults. Those are folks that have chronic illnesses. These are also children as they're out of school right now. And many children may have received the majority of their consistent meals through the school system. And many school systems are, are continuing to serve these meals. And then um, those that are income insecure that might be exposed on their jobs or might be jobless right now. What's really interesting is that the same groups that are vulnerable to coronavirus are some of the same groups that are vulnerable to climate change. With large crises like coronavirus and climate change, the impacts ripple through our lives in multiple ways. Right now, many people are suffering from isolation. We have physical distancing. That is the measure that we're using to mitigate the spread of coronavirus. But for some, that can leave them isolated. In this isolation, there may be increased risk of conflict or domestic violence, for example. And then there are economic stressors that may even connect with suicide or suicidal ideation. Really important to have the social ties um, so that we have resilience to bring us through these traumatic events. Back in episode 23, Dr. Jonette shared research conducted after Hurricane Katrina. It revealed women experienced extreme trauma in various forms, including domestic violence. Dr. Jonette worries about similar dangers women now face during this time of extreme isolation. Both climate change and coronavirus are suspected to be associated with violence, potentially domestic violence. And with physical distancing, the call is for people to remain at home so that they have less opportunity to expose anyone or to be exposed. This could allow abusers to unleash more violence on them. Their violence could become more extreme. They're more isolated right now. It can make it more difficult for victims to seek help. Also, Victims of domestic violence right now um, may not feel that they can seek refuge with their parents. If their parents are older adults that are part of a key vulnerable population of coronavirus, so they may feel that they can't seek refuge with their parents for fear that, that they may expose them or cause adverse risk to these people that they love. And then there's issues with shelters. Shelters may be full right now, given the physical distancing limits, and they may not have as much capacity. There are programs and services that are are out there that are accessible for women. But right now, you know, given economic constraints, they may have severely constrained budgets right now. All of this makes it harder for victims to leave. Domestic violence is certainly a concern 
when it comes to coronavirus, but also with climate change as well. So I, I won't limit this to women. Um, certainly there are both men and women who are victims of domestic violence. But women do make up a majority of victims with LGBTQ individuals second in terms of the number of victims of domestic violence. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence, you can speak with or chat online with someone at the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Visit thehotline.org. That's thehotline.org. They have specific information about staying safe during COVID-19. If you fear an abuser is monitoring your online activity, you can also call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-SAFE. Climate advocates know the more you dig into the impacts of climate change, the more you learn about the suffering of others. If you started listening to this podcast already overwhelmed by all of this, and now you feel even more overwhelmed, I understand if you need to take a break. But I encourage you to finish the episode. My guest will offer excellent advice, strategies, and coping techniques to help us all. Many of us listening right now are isolating at home with brief and anxious trips to the supermarket to stock up on food. We see the essential workers in these stores rapidly restocking shelves and at the checkout. According to a recent New York Times article, one in three essential workers are women in the USA. Who we do not see, though, are the farm workers and factory employees growing, harvesting, and processing our food. I reached out to Solemi Hernandez in Florida. In addition to being the Southeast Coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby, Solemi works in her community providing support and raising awareness regarding farm workers. Here in Southwest Florida, we have um, the farmer workers, the Imokli farmer workers, which are considered essential workers. They don't have a choice in to not go to work and stay at home. They have to provide for the family and they're essential workers because they take care of the food we consume. So they have to go to the fields. Uh, they have to go to work because they have to provide for their families. And there's nothing that the government is doing to ensure that they're going to be healthy. They're very concerned because they don't have insurance. Most of them are undocumented because they live in rural areas. There's no hospitals, and they're really concerned about that. They leave over 10 people in a home. Most of these people are already having issues or lower-income communities, so they have pre-existing conditions. When something big like coronavirus or a monster storm hits, people like Solemi and many of you listening have multiple concerns. Of course, we protect our family and homes, but we often care for people in places outside our families that are close to our hearts. These may be homeless youth or adults, isolated senior citizens in the community, or the welfare of pets displaced by storms. For many of us, climate change has enlarged our hearts and increased our empathy. Solemi speaks passionately about the needs of farm workers in her community. They're not being taken care of. The communities have to come together themselves to help them out with basic needs. 
right now we need to be talking to our elected officials, be talking to government agencies that are in charge in taking care of people. Just bring the attention that these communities need a lot of help before the virus gets to them. As I spoke with Dr. DeJarnet and Solemi Hernandez, I began to wonder about other people who are not sick from coronavirus, but are suffering because of its impacts. People who have remained sober through support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous. Suddenly they can't physically attend meetings. The companionship and community is life-saving for them. And while there are online meetings and ways to stay connected remotely, the physical isolation and lack of mobility can undermine sobriety. I've also been thinking of children who can't play with their friends, stuck in a house or apartment. Child welfare agencies have been raising the alarm that incidents of neglect and abuse may increase during this time of physical distancing and isolating at home. Many of us are feeling overwhelmed by the stockpiling of needs, risks, and pain. I completely understand the desire to switch off the news, turn off the brain, binge watch a silly sitcom or sci-fi series, a way to escape this world for a bit. I'm sure you've begun to find ways to manage the many anxieties and feelings you're having right now. For me, I've turned to dancing. Like really silly, wild dancing in a room where no one can see just how silly I look. I've also been lip-syncing as well. And like many people, I've turned to cooking and to food. I've baked so much bread my husband can't keep up. I've also been exchanging recipes with anyone who wants or has a good one to share. And speaking with the writer Elizabeth Rush, I learned about an incredible Dutch baby recipe by Florence Fabricant in the New York Times. The ingredients seem so naughty. Three eggs, half a cup flour, half a cup of milk, a tablespoon sugar, pinch of nutmeg, four tablespoons of unsalted butter, a Dutch baby. This large, fluffy pancake is excellent for breakfast, brunch, lunch, and dessert. And it comes together in about five blessed minutes. Just dump all the ingredients into a blender, give it a good whirl, pour it into a heated skillet sizzling with butter, and pop it into the oven. 25 minutes later, top it with maple syrup, preserves, confectioner's sugar, and then perfect bliss. So don't worry, I will have a link to the recipe in the show notes. Oh, and feel free to send me your favorite recipes. Email me radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Stay tuned for the second half of Spirit in Action where you're going to get some very specific advice of how to cope during this time of coronavirus, that and much more. We'll be back to Peterson Toscano of Citizens Climate Radio right after I remind you that Spirit in Action is a Northern Spirit Radio production at northernspiritradio.org. Links to guests, all of our programs the past 15 years, info on the stations that carry our programs, and a place for you to rate and comment on our programs. And there is the always important Donate button. Your contributions make this ongoing work possible, so please help 
help. But you should start by donating of your time and energy to your local community radio station, sustaining their invaluable work. Help them first, and then click our donate button. But right now, I want to race back to the incredible and blessed work of Citizens Climate Radio via today's guest host for Spirit in Action, Peterson Toscano. Onward, Peterson. Elizabeth Rush not only sends me amazing recipes, she's also the author of the award-winning book, Rising, Dispatches from the New American Shore. She teaches creative writing at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, and like most professors, is now teaching online. She's also working on her next book. Oh, and she is seven months pregnant. As a pregnant woman, I certainly feel an additional level of concern that I don't think is shared with even my husband, who of course like loves and cares for this child already. But, you know, I feel like it's my duty to protect as best I can it inside of me. And so there's a level at which I think my anxiety is perhaps higher because I think of myself as sort of two beings and not one right now. Child rearing and parenting isn't just about who's the mom and who's the dad, but taking on sort of that position of protectorship, you know, just as someone who's like in this newly minted mom role, the virus feels scarier than I would have expected. Elizabeth is a person of action. Usually I find her doing research in Chile or Antarctica, but now she's stuck at home. I don't know what to do, that you want to be helpful, but you don't know where to put in your energy or effort. Like, yes, stay home. That's important. But it feels like there should be something else. But I I do think, for instance, a lot of people who are in like an earlier phase of climate awareness feel very similarly. I think that as you wake up to climate change as like a a real existential threat and the depth of it, the first response, the first place that most people sort of dwell in, but what can I do? There's nothing I can do. Elizabeth immediately began to consider connections with coronavirus and climate change. This includes the absolutely essential role of grief. The grief that I feel around coronavirus, which is actually pretty profound, feels very similar to how I felt about climate change probably seven or eight years ago. That moment of kind of having like a veil ripped from your eyes and you have to look at and confront the deep precarity of your own position within a society that seems to be relatively stable, but actually is built on the precarity of other human beings in a really fundamental way. Having to reckon with that and climate change and the way that it deepens pre-existing vulnerabilities, all of those reckonings were deeply painful in the beginning. And I think things that I had to mourn a kind of innocence. In terms of the climate change conversation, some part of me feels like I've passed through grief and passed through fear to the place where I've started to become much more engaged politically in my local community in the fight over 
how to put into place a just green energy transition. I've really devoted my professional life to writing about climate change and its early impacts on all different kinds of vulnerable communities. You know, if my experience with grief and panic and action in the climate crisis tells me anything, it's like, well, this feeling of having no idea about what you can do or feeling like what you can do is so minimal, that that is also a stepping stone along the way towards figuring out what you can do. Last fall was when I first spoke to Solemi Hernandez. She told me about growing up in an oil industry family in Venezuela. She has since become a climate advocate in the USA. As she spoke about climate change, Solemi powerfully expressed the depth of sadness she felt and how she was able to work her way out of that despair. I used to be very depressed before, and it was because I couldn't accept the kind of world we live on. Everybody's for their own, so there is not actually a sense of community, and that is something that is affecting, it can affect psychologically many people just like it did with me. I fell alone. It's really hard when you fall in, into that depression because you feel like you don't belong to this world. So I see the urgency. For me, it's urgency. And actually, be doing this, all my environmental work, is something that I have give a sense of purpose in my life. And through my activism and helping out with restoration projects and the work I do with CCL and other organizations is something, it's like what I said, it's my antidepressant. I don't see myself not doing this because otherwise I'd be sleeping in a bed depressed because, you know, it's what is at least make me feel like I'm doing something to better the world. And, and I have met the most wonderful people in the work I do. I guess it's other, this is what I have gave sense to my life. When I chatted with Solemi the other day, she shared the weight she is feeling about the new crisis affecting us all. You know, I do. I do feel depressed. I feel angry. I feel like hopeless. I feel concerned. And then I try to ground myself in the things that I'm grateful for. But as I'm counting the things I'm grateful for, uh, I see the things that I'm grateful for are the things that other people don't have. I try to do meditation. I try to do a little bit of exercise. But it feels, it truly feels like a roller coaster of emotions. You feel that collective, that collective grief. Out of nowhere, I feel like crying. And maybe I haven't given time to myself to cry enough. Because I'm afraid that it will be so hard to lift myself up from that grief feeling for that sense of pain. But there's times where I can stop thinking about what will happen to those refugees communities in the Middle East, for example. You know, those kids, those people that are already having issues with sanitation, basic needs. It's going to be catastrophic. And not to be able to do nothing is, is I think, is what it hurts the most. 
Now we have a clearer picture of what all this grief looks like and feels like. So what do we do about it? Well, now is the perfect time to bring in my final guest. They've spent a lot of time working on their own and in groups to understand and process eco-grief. In fact, they have a 10-step program that has been incredibly helpful for climate advocates. Yeah, the program stems from my own experience of eco-anxiety or climate grief. That's Laura Schmidt, the co-founder of the Good Grief Network. I first started experiencing it as an environmental studies and biology major in my undergrad degree. And having read the IPCC for the first time in 2009, I realized the severity of the predicament and also how none of our national leaders were taking it as seriously as the IPCC was reporting. So this started a question in my mind of uh, how do we sustain ourselves for the long haul if we know we're going to continuously confront uh, a struggle? And in this case, it's a struggle to take on and mitigate the worst impacts of climate change. So I went to graduate school at the University of Utah and started interviewing climate scientists, activists, authors, the people who really wanted to look at this problem face on and not look away. I asked them how they sustained themselves, what resilient strategies they were using. And I coupled that with some of my own research for my master's thesis and then came up with a nine step. It wasn't a program yet. It wasn't a program until Amy joined us. Amy is Amy Lewis Rowe. My background is more human rights focused. I feel like good grief is what happened when Laura and I in our younger years used to argue which was more important, environmental activism or human rights-based activism. And as you know, it's a catch-22. People can't care about the environment if their basic needs are not being met and they're focused on just trying to survive. And if we don't care for the environment, there's not going to be people here to care for. What happened when we started digging deeper into why these problems exist, we started getting to the roots. And what I believe the root problem is, is disconnection, disconnection from self, other, and the natural world. And that disconnect, that same disconnection that allows us to harm a fellow human being is the same disconnection that allows us to harm the planet. And so we started thinking, how do you, how do you, I don't know if cure is the right word, but how do you heal some of that disconnection happening? And that's where our 10 steps bring people together one week at a time and create a real sense of community. As climate advocates, many of us have been feeling eco-grief for some time. Eco-grief is similar to other types of grief, but Laura points out a key difference. Eco-grief is larger in scale. I think it's the realization that our ideal imagined future is no longer accessible and that we have to change our expectations. What we've noticed, and, and it's fascinating, is that oftentimes many of the people who come to our programs have experienced a personal loss, and that has been their gateway to waking up to the other systemic predicaments that we're facing. When we realize our lives and safety are at risk, we react strongly. When we are reminded of our mortality, we are more likely to be violent towards those who do not share our worldview. And I think we're witnessing that a lot in our political, our nation's political divide. 
Amy and Laura explain how allowing ourselves to feel our emotions and process them can be the necessary step to finding a path forward. In the environmental community, we've been looking at feelings as kind of this roadblock to get through or to, you know, dust our hands off and say, I don't want to feel that or feelings are somehow a weakness. And then that's been compounded by the cultural assumptions that we don't actually need to feel our feelings unless they're good, unless they're the positive, fun ones. We have such an aversion to sitting with these painful feelings that for me and many of the people coming through our program, it's really hard to sit in those painful feelings. It's hard to be with your rage. It's hard to be with your anxiety and your grief and your fear. We're inviting the sharing with each other of these heavy feelings. And in doing so, they have less power over us. We're less stuck in them. Adrienne Murray Brown has been saying that things aren't getting worse. They're getting unveiled. And that until things are unveiled and until we see them accurately, we can't actually change them. What about coronavirus? Are the feelings we have about it similar to eco-grief? The first thing that comes to mind is that we have to really learn how to be with uncertainty. We have a step for that. Practice being with uncertainty. Whether it's coronavirus or climate change, we realize that the systems in which we live are out of our control. Uh, and it brings it back down to where we have personal agency. What do we have control over? We have control over our reactions and our perspective and where we have agency in the world. But I think it's really important to understand that in this dynamic world, control has been an illusion all along. For many of us, especially those of us grappling with the climate crisis, we understand that we live in an unpredictable systemic world. As long as we practice being unattached to outcomes, being in the moment and dealing with uncertainty or being with uncertainty, it makes us more nimble as the changes continue, continue to occur. What we're really grieving is the failure of these systems that felt like they were protecting us. If we do come from a place of privilege, we felt protected by the systems and we're now seeing through them and the coronavirus is just is reminding me personally just how fragile our interactions with each other are, just how vulnerable it is to say hi to someone on the street. And I'm left feeling that coronavirus is happening so fast and it's bringing about so much chaos that we're having to face our grief in a, in a faster way. We're having to confront the fact that there are people that we love who are being diagnosed with coronavirus, and we don't know if we're going to be able to see them again. Climate is in unfolding over time. Uh, it's a, a disruption that happens in parts of the world, and for some of us, in parts of the world that we don't even pay attention to. And so we're being forced to have the grief right in front of us. And it's asking us to open our hearts to these predicaments that are actually really interlinked and overlapping. We have not listened to the marginalized communities or taken their suffering seriously until it seems like all of us have been impacted by something we absolutely can't turn away from. And that happens to be coronavirus right now, but it's also the climate crisis both of these crises highlight predicaments that humanity can no longer turn away from. 
It's a re-emphasis that we're in this together, all of humanity. In conclusion, I'm thinking of Laura's question that led her to the Good Grief Network. What do we need to sustain ourselves? Especially those of us with a double burden, we feel the desperate need to act on climate change, along with a collective and individual grief and stress around coronavirus. My guests have answers for you. Here's Amy Lewis Rowe from the Good Grief Network. And uh, this comes from Terry Tempest Williams, who we were lucky enough to study with. She often says, to bear witness is not a passive act. In this time, especially as we're all slowing down, one of the bravest things we can do is be present with one another, with our own grief, to be brave enough to be present with our own grief, and to bear witness to the folks we love in our life and their grief. And say, hey, what's going on in your corner? What's it look like where you are? Not look away. I'm saying that, I'm hearing myself say that, and then I'm feeling attention because we also talk about the importance of, of media breaks and mindful media consumption. And, you know, we, if we're just looking at the car wreck all the time, that can take a toll too. And so how do we find that balance? And for me, the answer is grief. I think one thing that's beautiful about grief is it's a shared human experience. No one gets out of life without it. And one thing I've observed as that community and feeling seen, heard, and held by community breeds courage. These times are calling for courage. I don't know why community breeds courage. I probably could theorize about that a little bit. But it's just a fact. I've observed it time and time again. And so I think these times are calling for us to get back into authentic community. Even if that's in a digital space. Yeah. Laura Schmidt encourages us to use this time to go deeper. I think this time of, of slowing down, having to reassess what roles we play in the world and how to be change agents is a really ripe time to turn inward and to start caring for ourselves. We live in such a fast-paced world, or we did before coronavirus. We lived in such a fast-paced world that many of us have kind of forgotten who we are and what brings us meaning and the joy of really simple things. Coronavirus has, has provided an opportunity for the slowing down, and I don't want to simplify it because there's a lot of pain there as well. Why not take the invitation to slow down and really sustain ourselves for the long haul? Because when coronavirus is not a pressing issue anymore, we still have climate change that we're going to have to address. And that too, if we're not doing our inner work, is going to feel like the carpet's been pulled out from underneath us. Coming together online has helped Solemi Hernandez with coping right now. Because I am a people person, now that we're moving everything online, I actually feel connected. And we're building within Citizens Climate Lobby a sense of community. We are separated, but we're still so much connected. And I feel this is a great opportunity to offer the sense of community in between all of us. And I am getting it and I am feeling it. And it's something that is keeping my spirit up under this terrible uncertainty. Dr. Natasha DeJarnett from the National Environmental Health Association always has helpful advice for any crisis. 
She shared with me coping strategies I now implement into my daily life. CDC and the National Institute of Mental Health offer several ideas for coping with the pandemic. And I think that we can also apply them as we face the challenges of climate change as well. Both of them share to take breaks from the news, take breaks from watching, reading, or listening to news stories. This may include social media, depending on your social media profile, but hearing repeatedly about this pandemic can be upsetting. So it's important to take breaks. It's also important to make some time to unwind and both CDC and the National Institute of Mental Health recommend this as well. So try to do some other activities that you enjoy, that you can enjoy safely and while physically distancing yourself. But also they both recommend that it's really important to connect with others. We are physically distancing. So we're creating physical distance to prevent the spread of the virus, but we need to work to remain socially connected. So talk to people about your concerns and how you're feeling. We still have ways to connect with people outside of being face-to-face with them. Also, they both recommend taking care of your body, taking deep breaths, taking stretch breaks, eating healthy, well-balanced meals, exercising regularly, and getting plenty of sleep, but also avoiding substances like alcohol, drugs. I've been hearing a lot of encouraging quotes and um, many are saying we're in this together. Though we're physically distant, though we're separated at the time, we're in this together. And then I even think on your wise words, Peterson, we're all in the same boat. Though we may not be on the same deck, we may be experiencing the impacts of both coronavirus and climate change differently. We're all in the same boat. I'm incredibly grateful for my guest and the wisdom, the insights, the expertise that they shared with us today and their advice. I imagine you have some good advice to share too. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. We have a monthly show, Citizens Climate Radio, where you can get anywhere you listen to podcasts. Our next episode is going to be about Republicans who are taking climate change seriously and seeking out solutions. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education. Learn more at citizensclimatelobby.org. Thank you, Mark, for sharing your platform with me so that I can share my content with your listeners. It's really great to have this collaboration. Back to you. I so love working with you, Peterson, and being connected to the great work of Citizens Climate Radio. We have a couple of minutes left, folks, so I thought I'd share a song by Ashley Mazanik, who Peterson introduced me to a couple years back, in order to share one of her songs about the remedy for eco-grief and powerlessness. We'll play as much as we can of Power to the People by Ashley Mazanik, and we'll see you all next week for Spirit in Action. Power to the people. When you know your best isn't good enough and you're paralyzed from no owing too much, there's an end to me.
Theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song. And our lives will feel the echo 